Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Jesus said that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, sexual immorality, murder, theft, deceit. All of those things come from the heart and they are what defile a person. And so you see the gospel is God's solution to the heart problem. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapters 54 through 57. Now here's Pastor Brian. There is a built-in curse upon the systems of, of man apart from God. And no system of man can ever succeed. No one ever has and no one ever will. So the person who trusts in man, whether it be in themselves or in other people, um, and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, shall be like a shrub in the desert. Wow. A shrub in the desert. That's not a real pleasant picture. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. So again, this is the the outcome of following the ideas of, of human beings in rebellion to God. It only results in a dried up and withered life. It cannot result in anything other than that. But in contrast, blessed is the man or the person who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord for that person shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. It's almost like Jeremiah is, is almost quoting verbatim from Psalm 1. Did you recognize that? Very similar picture to what we read in Psalm 1 about the blessed person as the one who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates in his law day and night, and that person will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And so the person who trusts the Lord is the person who is blessed. That's the reality. And it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with material prosperity. It doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the things that people uh, would say mark the blessed life, but it has... Uh, to do with the things that money can't buy. It has to do with true love and peace and joy and purpose and those kinds of things. That's how the righteous flourish. They flourish in those areas that actually mean something and are significant. Now, verse 9. Verse 9 is one of the, it's just interesting how it's just here in this segment of, of Jeremiah But this is a key verse in the Bible as far as 
defining the human condition. Look what it says. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart. So the heart is a reference. When the Bible speaks of the heart, you know, um, out of the heart proceeds or loving God with all your heart, it's talking about the, the totality of who we are. It's our mind, it's our will, it's, it's all of us who, you know, our deepest being is, is our heart. And what the scripture tells us is that the condition of every single person in the depths of our being is that we are wicked. We are wicked. And this is not a message that is appreciated by people. Nobody wants to to be told they're wicked. As a matter of fact, this is one of the, the major contentions between God and humanity from all the way, all the way back to the very beginning. I mean, go all the way back to Adam. What's going on here? The woman that you gave me. That's the problem as far as Adam is concerned. And then Cain and Abel, and Cain kills his brother. And what's the problem? Well, the problem is not in Cain as far as he's concerned. The problem is is something else. And, And this is always the case, and this is the case today. And the the view of, you know, the, the secular humanist view of mankind is that we are at the core of our being, we're actually good. That that's the, the huge conflict that exists between humanism and the biblical revelation. Humanism says that people are basically good uh, inside, you know, and, and you know, we, we hear stuff like that all the time. Yeah, I know that they did this, and I know that looks really bad, but, you know, deep in their heart, they're a really good person. I mean, how many times have we heard that? How many times have we even said that? There are times when the depths of, of the depravity that's there in our heart that resides there, there are times when it actually has occasion to rise up and to overflow and, and to be seen in, on individual level and then other times on um, you know, even a, a larger, more collective level. But you think of the person who outwardly seems to be a relatively good person, and then you find out that they committed this horrific crime, and nobody can believe it. It's like, but wait, uh, how, how could that even happen? And who would have ever known that that kind of wickedness was there in the heart? Well, God knows it, and he said it. And, and notice what he says. This is important. Who can know it? The implication there is that we are more wicked than we could ever know. We would never think about ourselves in the terms um, that are laid out here. We, we would not naturally think we are as wicked as we are. We would always give ourselves a little bit of a better grade than we deserve. Who can know it? Do you know, going back to the time of the, the Holocaust and the Second World War and, and all of those things, you know, I, I mean, this is a fact of history. It's been displayed over and over again. 
But one of the marvels after it was all said and done was how this this people, particularly the German people, who were educated, who were sophisticated, who were, I mean, they, they were a Christianized nation, so they were civilized as far as everybody knew, but then they ended up committing the most horrific, barbaric crimes against their fellow human beings, the Jews specifically. And this was the marvel after it was all said and done. It was like, well, how could, how could these people that seem so just normal, how could this kind of behavior have come out of them? And I think it was Adolf Eichmann, when he was being tried, I think it was his situation where one of the, the men, I can't remember who it was, one of the Jewish men who had survived, um, he said the frightening thing about Eichmann was he seemed so normal and so much like himself. No one would have ever dreamed that that was in the heart of that person. But it was there. And it's in the heart. Remember, Jesus said that out of the heart, Matthew 15, Mark 7, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, sexual immorality, murder, theft, deceit. All of those things, all of those things come from the heart and they are what defile a person. And so... You see, the gospel is God's solution to the the heart problem. But because people don't want to acknowledge the heart problem, they resist the gospel. But when a person acknowledges the heart problem, which really can only be done through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then the gospel comes with deliverance from them. But the Lord says in verse 10, I search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So this is something that, you know, we, it, it, we just, the Lord knows the heart. He said, I search the heart. I, I know what's in the depths of it. So the wise thing for people is to agree with God and to respond accordingly. And so verse 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved for you are my praise. So Jeremiah is expressing his prayer to the Lord there. Now in verses 19 and then on through the rest of the chapter, let me just read for a moment. Thus the Lord said to me, go and stand in the gate of the children of the people. Remember, he was to go and stand at the temple and say, don't say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now go stand in the gate by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day. So God tells Jeremiah, go stand there. I mean, can you imagine this? Go stand there. The king's going to come through the gate, and this is what I want you to say to him. And 
he says, don't bear a burden on the Sabbath day. Now, this is a relatively easy thing to comply with, you would think, right? Verse 23, but they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their necks stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of the city on the Sabbath. And if you hallow the Sabbath, and then he goes on to promise that everything's gonna be good. Look at verse 25. Then shall enter the gates of the city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots on horses and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. Wow, such a simple thing. Let's start with the Sabbath. Let's just start with with, uh, obeying the Sabbath. And as we get in the habit of obedience, you know, none of this judgment that that I've been talking about is necessary. It can be averted. We don't have to experience. The city can go on endlessly. That was God's plan. But verse 27, if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath and to discontinue, then the palaces of Jerusalem shall be devoured and shall not be quenched. And that, of course, was the case. So in the 18th chapter, as we come to that, Jeremiah is instructed by the Lord to go to the potter's house. And so the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So this is an object lesson. The Lord says, say, look, Think about this. Just look what the potter is doing with this clay. I can do this with you. For good or for evil, you decide. That, that's what he goes on to say. Um, you know, I was thinking the other day when it was about 100 plus degrees. And you know, when it gets over 100 degrees, it just really gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? And you know, when it gets hot like that, you're just like, man, this is really miserable. This is really uncomfortable. And, and I just, this thought, Uh, These thoughts occur to me a lot, but (laughs) that day I just thought, you know, you know how easy it would be for God to just turn up the burner? I mean, you know, the rebellion, the resistance, the the refusal, and it's like people are out of, we're out of our minds. Don't we understand? I mean, just think about 200 degrees, what that would be like. Well, we would all be dead. That's what it would be like. I mean, it wouldn't take much for the entire population of the planet to just literally be fried. It wouldn't take much at all. And I mean, that goes back to that passage we looked at earlier in Jeremiah. Remember when the Lord was saying, okay, look, don't you guys get that, you know, the the oceans, 
you know, there's a boundary on those oceans, so they don't come in and, and just inundate everything. They don't come in and wipe out, you know, the cities and all that. Guess why that boundary's there? God says, I put it there. <laughs> you know, it's like, we should think about these things. And yet, we don't. That's the, that's the problem with sinful people is we're, we're blinded to reality. So he goes on to say, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck it up and pull it down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent. And verse nine, the instant I speak concerning a nation or a kingdom to build it up and plant it, if the nation then decides that it's gonna do evil in my sight and not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I had said that I would benefit. And notice there, that nation, Now, Jeremiah is talking to his nation, but it's a pretty much an all-inclusive statement here for all of the nations. This has application to all nations. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. But for those who reject the Lord, whatever nation it is that rejects whatever revelation of God they've received, that then becomes the basis by which the judgment comes upon them. And so down in verse 12, the people said, that is hopeless, so we will walk according to our own plans. So they're resisting God's God's call to turn. We're going to walk on our own plans and obey the dictates of his evil heart. Everyone's going to obey the dictates of his evil heart. Now, just I said I wanted to say something about the dictates of the evil heart. So the dictates of the evil heart, again, I've said it before, you've heard it. It's basically everyone doing what they think is right. It's what we read in Judges, the the people, they did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel at the time, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is where we are today. Now, this would be referred to by sociologists or philosophers and people like that. This is a a time where it's now being referred to as a postmodern time. And one of the chief marks of postmodernism is relativism. So all truth is relative. There's no absolute truth. And basically, everyone determines truth for themselves. So whatever you feel to be true is what is true. And then that's how you live your life. And nobody can tell you anything different. That's pretty much what we're talking about here. Now, my point is this. It's called postmodernism today. But this is exactly the mentality of Judah at the time of Jeremiah. It's the exact same mentality. there's There's nothing different about it. Everyone just did according to the dictates of their own heart. And that's the kind of world that we are living in more and more and more. And that's why we see some of the craziest things that imaginable happening around us. And everybody seems to be okay with it. Everybody seems to say that, you know, this is the way it should be. Why? Because, well, that's their truth. That's what they feel is right. That's what's right for them. And, and you can't say that that's not right for them because that's not yours to determine. That's for them to determine. So that, that's the mentality today. I was 
listening to um, a lecture by a professor of mine yesterday, and he was talking about the difference in questions over the past couple of decades. So he's a little bit younger than I am, you know, started campus ministry, and he's kind of talking about the questions that were asked back in, you know, maybe the, the 80s and even the 90s. And they were, they were questions that had to do more with the ideas of truth. You know, how do we know that, that there is a God? Or how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? Or how do we know that the Bible is the Word of God? And those are the kinds of questions that were foremost in the minds of people today. And they're still in the minds of many people as well. But, but he was saying in his experience in the campus ministries, especially with younger generations, it's really not those kind of questions anymore. Questions are more about personal kinds of things. And one of them is, who is God to tell me how I should live my life? And who, what, who do Christians think they are that they could tell me what's right or wrong for me? So you see, that just goes back to show that there's this this full embracing of this idea that I am my own God. I decide right and wrong. I decide who I am and what is best for me. I do that out of the dictates of my own heart. So all that to say, there's nothing new under the sun. It's called postmodernism because it came after a period of time in the Western world known as modernism. But it's not really modern or postmodern. It's ancient. It's as old as human beings, this kind of mentality. So verse 18 of chapter 18, we need to go there. So Jeremiah is, of course, obeying the Lord and he's proclaiming what God told him to proclaim. And then they said, come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, no word from the prophet. So they're just, Jeremiah is, he's dead wrong. He is absolutely wrong. What is he talking about? The law is not going to perish from the priest, the counsel from the wise, the, the word from the prophet. Come, let us attack him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, Jeremiah says, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them. Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you know, I've even pleaded with you for them. I've even prayed for them. And, and now this is what they're doing to me. And so he says, turn away. I, I prayed that you would turn away your wrath from them, but now deliver up their children to famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword. So Jeremiah just prays this prayer against them. And then down in the latter part of verse 22, for they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. And so they were conspiring to kill Jeremiah.
For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. With all the chaos, unrest, and uncertainty in our world, behind it all is the unseen realm where a spiritual battle is being waged. And this spiritual battle not only affects the world collectively, but even our lives individually. This month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will give you an understanding of the battle that is raging behind the scenes. You will understand the enemy who is waging war against you, his tactics, and how you can be equipped to emerge victorious. As people of God, we must be aware of the spiritual battle we're all involved in, the sophisticated ways in which we're constantly being attacked, and the provision for victory we have in Jesus. If you want to be equipped for the spiritual battle we're engaged in, or to be able to help others become equipped, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.